All right, everybody. Welcome back to Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor, with my co-host, Chris Logan. Howdy. And if you are a regular listener, or even if you're not, what we do is cover the best of alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. Uh, We've also done a series for several years called Albums Revisited, where we like to look at uh, seminal albums from the 80s and 90s. And today is the eve of the 30th anniversary of U2's Octung Baby, which officially turns 30 tomorrow. Um, officially. Officially. And it came out in 1991, which you'll see in the in the blog post for this uh, episode, I've got a list a link, a list of all the best albums of 1991. 1991 was a major year for music. It was a huge year. <laughs> I mean, so much good stuff. But, you know, at top of the list as far as, as um, noteworthy and one that we just covered recently on an earlier episode, which I also will link to in, in, the, in the post, is Nirvana's Nevermind, which turned 30 just a few weeks ago. And right. was obviously a very revolutionary album that helped break Alternative Nation to the mainstream and Seattle and grunge. But because of that, it put a lot of European bands in a predicament because for so long, alternative rock was kind of ruled by the Brits. And you had like Depeche Mode and U2 and The Cure, uh, Bauhaus, uh, Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah. You can name on on and on. But it was, it was, you know, you had some American bands in the 80s like REM and The Replacements. And, right. and ministry and stuff like that. But by and large, most of the bands getting press were, were British bands. So Nirvana marked a turning point where it became much more American focused for a few years until Britpop came back. And then that kind of splintered everything. Uh, that flipped the script. But it, again, <laughs> but, it, but it put, it put you two in a predicament because you two you know, we're the biggest band of the 80s. Uh, Joshua Tree, that came out, what, 87 or 88? 87. 87. Uh, you know, 87. blew everybody's minds. They were another example. You know, they were kind of like the pre-example of a Nirvana-type act that that came out from kind of the college rock circuit into becoming an arena rock, stadium-filling bands. And Yeah, completely global at that point. Yeah, I mean, they were... Yeah, from, from, yeah just, you know hitting on some regular rock stations with a couple of singles here and there, and then going global like they did was, I mean, you know, that was rare. That was a rarity. I mean, even, even your parents back in the eighties knew who you two were. That's, that's how, that's how, that's how big they were. So, but as often happens, your grandparents, depending on, yeah, yeah. If your your grandparents are, are, are hip, but right. But what was interesting was you two the Joshua Tree was so huge, and the band got a reputation for being too serious and and too political and all those kinds of things. Um, so their next release was the album Rattle and Hum, which was also accompanied by a documentary. And and as successful as Joshua Tree was, and all their other albums are building up to it, Rattle and Hum was a weird. It was just weird <laughs> because the doc yeah. the documentary was kind of a mess. It 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 didn't really didn't really land for me. I I saw it in the theater. I remember distinctly thinking, "This I this is odd." You know, I, and I I liked it, but that's because whenever they cut to the Fort Worth convention center show, that's the way that, that's the way that I saw the show <laughs> pretty much. That was the, the live the stuff is great. The, the view, yeah. The view that you have watching them perform when love comes to town in rattle and home is pretty close to the view that I actually had. Like I remember seeing, um, Lights followed them off the stage, you know, um, which at, at this point you, you now know that their camera is following them off the stage. Cause then they go into that little room and they, I guess they chat for just a minute. It's been a year since I've seen the film, but I remember, I remember that distinctly 
uh, happening where they're getting followed off the stage and then they're followed back. And then next thing you know, it's on, holy cow, that's, that's how I saw this show. So, <laughs> and, 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 and the live stuff is definitely the best part of, of the documentary. Oh I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that, that stuff is, I mean, like yeah. Helter Skelter, all that stuff is, is, yeah is, you know, where, where it's, where it's at for me, the other stuff. Where that where that where they got in trouble with the press and with some of the fans was that it felt like they were kind of co-opting American blues or trying to show like how it was done. It, it just it felt weird that there was like this ownership or something. I it's some, somehow it just did not translate well to to the masses as far as them trying to re to to invest themselves in like America root rock and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah. so the album came out along with the documentary and you had songs like desire or angel of Harlem. And, and I know yeah. you, I know you're, you're a bigger U2 fan than me, so you may not agree, but I felt like a lot of those songs to me, they just felt, I don't want to say forced, but it, it, it just, it was, it, it, it felt, nope. it, it felt ill, ill fitting to me on some, on some of the right. songs. And, you know, I, 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 there, there's a poor part of that that I understand um, because it, it it doesn't necessarily feel natural. Um, I do think it was like like one of their big dreams because they went to some studio and recorded a couple cuts. And who doesn't want to do that? Especially whenever you're a, a 20-something-year-old Irish kid that is, you know, finally big in, in, in the United States. Um, I mean, you want to go do, do stuff like, you know, do stuff like record at some studios and the songs weren't, weren't top notch for sure. They, they almost in, at, at, at times kind of felt like B sides within a sense. Yeah. Uh, Desire is probably the closest to an actual single single out of, out of that. But outside of that, like Angel of Harlem, man, I, I rarely, I rarely keep that track on. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 never, you know, I, 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 I never have liked it. It just, it's a little too sac, a little too saccharine for something. Yeah. Something it's, it's never, it never took hold. But I, I think there is one song on that album that does bear mention because one, it's, it's a great song. But two, it kind of, sort of, shown a light to where they might be headed, and that was the the God part. Ooh, I know, God I know part. exactly where you're gonna go. Yeah, God part two. Oh. Oh, see, I thought you were going to go Hawk Moon 269. Oh, there we go. So we got two different, two different yeah, entry I mean, points here. You know, it, hey, the, either one of those. But yeah, God Part 2 probably leans closer. So I, I'm, I'm going to give you, you, you get the gold star for that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it had the dance beat. It had a, yeah. almost, almost kind of like a hip hop thing in, in some of the, in some of the, some of the vocals or it, it was, it, it was a good mix of elements, not to mention, I mean, it's ballsy to try to make a sequel to a John Lennon song in and of itself. But the fact that it sounds so cool and the fact that they didn't copy the music that John Lennon did, they just took the lyrical concept yeah. and expand, yeah. expand it, which was, which was clever. But I think that kind of yeah. sh- showed where they might could have gone. And I think, um, you know, once that album came out, and it came and went and it kind of felt muted and, and they didn't really get the, the impact they were looking for. Yeah. yeah. Then they decided they need to, to reinvent themselves to do something different. And that's when a couple of years later, they wound up going to the same studio in, uh, I believe it was, Berlin, where David Bowie made it, made his trilogy of albums with Brian Eno, who also co-produced the Joshua Tree with Daniel Landois and Steve Lillywhite. And I don't think Flood has a producer's credit on the album, but I know he did engineer it. So his fingerprints are definitely there. Um, so, um, and you can you can jump in whenever you want, but but I I think you know they were kind of trying something different. I know the Edge. 
Mm-hmm. And, and Bono were both really getting into industrial. They were really into like the baggy scene from England with like the Happy Mondays and and charlatans yeah. and all, all that kind of stuff. But Adam, uh, the, the bass player, Adam Clayton and Larry Mullins, Jr., the drummer, weren't 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 so keen on that. So it, it took it took a lot of uh, it was kind of a lot of it, sure. yeah, a lot a lot of a lot of back and forth and. Um, it's, it's it's the album that almost broke the band up. Yeah, that practically did break the band up. You know, they they relocate to to this studio, Hansa Studios in Berlin. Like you said, you know, I don't know if it's world known at that point because of David Bowie's Berlin triptych, but um, and Iggy Pop too, right? That's where he recorded his stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, what record did he record there? I think it was The Idiot, right? Uh, yes, Idiot. That's it. Thank you. And, and so, yeah, uh, it, this is, this was the, the proverbial line in the sand, the, the last straw, pr- pretty much. They had hit such a, a, uh, artistic block because you had half the band wanting to go one way, the other half, thinking that they were just going to keep doing status quo, not the band, but the status quo of what U2 was. Mm -hmm. And, and so it it basically came down to even a point to where I think they all had to take a break. They just had to like get away from each other because there was, you know, it, it became, it became pretty, pretty aggressive to where, I I read around through the years that that Adam Clayton was just like fine. You here, you show me how how, how to play that. I'm just in your band, and and was very upset, very very upset. And Larry didn't know where he fit in, at you know during during this early part of the session because they're listening to bands that were using drum machines. Well, I'm a drummer. You're going to replace me with a machine? What's, I mean, what's next, you know? So <clears throat> it became a very, very early on in, in these sessions. It became just not, not a scene that you would have thought uh, coming from uh, YouTube at all. And there's a really good documentary uh, about them making this album. And the, I can't think of it. You remember the title of it? It was on Showtime about 10 years ago. Um. From from the sky down. Yes, I, I remember it was it was a YouTube um, YouTube uh, club <laughs> member. Like if you subscribe to their membership thing, they get stuff like I did at some points. Then it, it was one of their like thank you gifts. Like you could get the DVD or something like that, or a soundtrack or something like that from it, and it it, it focused. It focused on Austin Baby, and I, I don't know why I didn't get it at that point, <laughs> but I waited another another gap year before I signed back up. But um, it's really good. It, it, so I've never, I've never seen it. I've never. Seen oh, you it, haven't. But oh yeah, no, I haven't. Oh you, <laughs> oh you of all people have, have you got to watch it. It's really, it's really, yeah. it's really yeah. good. It's it's a it's a good fly in the wall kind of. Showing how how they all, uh, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. How, how they all point on the wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How they all got through <laughs> it. But the one thing I remember distinctly, the thing that sticks out to me the most about the about the documentary was that they were really struggling with the songs and and how to find a way yeah. to, to bring uh, Larry and Adam into the fold and get them involved. And the one song that did it was one one was one one was the song that that and maybe because it kind of had a sound that that harkened back to the earlier u2 stuff it's probably the more traditional u2 songs on the album maybe um in in some ways but i think that 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 was such a powerful song and i think if you if i had to pick one song off of Octane Baby, especially as a single, I think one is is probably their finest hour. Um, right, it just hits all the right notes. It's a beautiful song. It's 
emotive. It's got Bono singing at his best. It's got the edges, cool little, very simple but melodic and the emotive guitar solo. It's got the interesting synths in the background. And it's, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just really powerful. Um, it's funny. It, it really is. And I, I, keep going, keep going. Oh, I, I was just say it's funny because, because my wife is not, is not the biggest U2 fan. She's kind of like take them or leave them, but she loves one. We played it at our wedding. I mean, it was, it's, it's, oh, a, wow, really? it's a, it's a big one. So, so I think that that, and obviously, you know, not only did it help bring the band together, but it helped propel the album into the stratosphere. And of course, you still hear that on the radio. We still hear Mysterious Ways and you still hear Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses. But, yeah. one, but one thing that bothers me a lot is the first single off that album is called The Fly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. something that the band said was a sound of four, <laughs> of four guys chopping down the Joshua tree, which was, Joshua tree. which was a great statement. And, and the, the fly is one of my, is one of my, is another one of my favorite U2 songs, but I do not understand how a song that was so popular back then. I never, ever hear it on like first wave. I never hear it on like no. older rock stations. They'll play everything else, but I don't know why that, that song has been kind of forgotten when it was so prominent when it first came out. It's weird. Well, I, I, I don't think it charted very high. I mean, like it was it was not what you would consider a actual hit and especially here in the United States. Because what what I did today on on a little background whenever we were talking about doing this is I looked at how how did how did this go? How you know? I mean, we know Octoon Baby was a, a, a number one album, a Grammy winning album um, in '91. But uh, what was it? What was it really like for a snapshot? So, <laughs> the Fly, it it made it into the top 100. It peaked at 61. Really? On the charts? Yes. Now, if you want to dig a little deeper for like alternative airplay, yeah, it's going to hit number one. But at that point, I mean, shit. I mean, you 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 could have a different number one every week in the alternative airplay. But for you know the for the uh, <clears throat> Billboard Hot 100, it only went to 61 on that, so it was not. It might have been huge on alternative radio at that point, but that's it. That was as far as it went. Matter of fact, going back to one, it peaked at 10. It wasn't even a number one song in the United States. Not, not, not for one week. It peaked at number 10. And this is a song now that in retrospect, whenever you look at some like best in the 90s list, it could be number one. Was there any? Number two, you know. Was there any? Um, I, I, in, in, well, in any countries? Was was there any songs off the album that did hit above ten in in the the states in a mysterious ways chart higher or? Mysterious ways, I think that was the one that charted the highest, and I think it went to six. Let me look real real quick because I think that was the only one that was high, the highest charting song. For uh, YouTube, oh, uh, actually nine, nine. And what about who's going to ride your wild horses? I guess that wasn't quite as big of a hit, but it was a hit. I, yeah, I don't think that that was that big of a hit. Well, it's really, it's really War thirty five, and and mind you, I, I am just going by the the Hot one hundred, which is like an all encompassing that includes alternative radio and pop radio and. And I guess adult oriented radio AOR at that time. So, I mean, there wasn't like, a, even though the album was, was a number one album and it, it, it did do that, but the singles themselves weren't the hit singles that they had previously uh, from something like Joshua Tree. Cause I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't really look at Rattle and Home, um, even though I'm pretty sure Desire charted pretty high but uh i i'd have to go back and research that one but that's interesting i didn't realize yeah, that so, i mean yeah yeah and, and i'm gonna dig 
dig down another layer here. So I I was thinking, so out of out of all the songs that that U two performs live, where you know, which one from Octune Baby is you know, rank, ranks the highest. And so I went to setlist.fm, which I don't know if anyone else uses that, but it's a great resource. Oh, I, I use all the time. Old set list. Yeah, me too. Uh, practically every other day, if not daily. <laughs> <laughs> and one, one is the one song from this album that charts at number seven. Pride in the Name of Love is number one. I Will Follow number two. Sunday Bloody Sunday number three. Where the Streets Have No Neighbor number four. Uh, I'm, I'm missing a song on my list. With or Without You. So maybe it's the sixth most performed song. Can't believe that I left off for him. I've, I've written it down. But, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a, it, thematically with Octane Baby, it was such a weird record because their previous albums were all pretty, pretty much like protest, protest songs. Even even up to uh, Joshua Tree, there was, I mean, of course, both the Blue Sky and you know, One Tree Hill. I mean, within a sense, that's not really a protest song, but still, they had social consciousness. Uh, dug dug deep into the, the lyrical content of of these albums. And, or, or just something that was part of their world. But Octune Baby flipped the script and they looked at themselves and it, it's a little, well, it's a lot darker of an album for sure. But it's also looking within them. And I think the song One really dealt with the relationship that they were having, maybe not just with uh, a partner or themselves, but I think the reason why one still works today is because it it can be it can be translated into a global a global sense and so one is still going to be played in in practically every every show that they play because they can tune that in and turn the lyrics from what may have started out as a little bit more of a personal song into a more communal type of song yeah and you know and i realized that also the edges was it was going through a divorce at the time so i think a lot of that kind of informs mm-hmm. the album yeah and one thing yeah. one thing i wanted to mention briefly just dealing with this and since we're talking about the 90s and all that there's if you can find it on youtube there is an amazing video of chris cornell who said he, he was doing uh, some covers live and he, and he just he does great he did he did great covers and he was going to do U2's one. And he goes, the thing is, guys, when I tried to find the lyrics online, instead, I came across the lyrics to Metallica's one. He's like, and then I thought, <laughs> what if I put them together? And he sang, he sang U2's one with Metallica's lyrics. And it was, incre- oh. it was incredible. He made it, oh. he made it fit. He put every single lyric from Metallica's wow. one over the chords of U2's one. And it gave me the chills. I was, wow. it's really, if you uh, definitely, before you go to bed tonight, check, oh, yeah. that, check that out. Cause it, it is, yes, it absolutely. is, I mean, not only does it make me miss that guy already more than I already do. It's just, you know, he, he could have done this a total joke, right? But he did it straight and it worked. So everybody out there, go That's to YouTube crazy. tonight and Google. YouTube, go to Chris Cornell, one YouTube Metallica or something like that, and you'll find it. It's worth worth the listen. But I, I think very cool. Yeah, you know, and I think if they let off with the one single, it would have done well. But I think why it was so cool, they went with the fly because when you saw that, and think about the fly is it, it the music video was perfect too, because you see. Yeah. They're they're dressed in leather, you know. Bono's got on his shades that he, that he still wears a version of, of some version of to this day. Sunglasses. He's got his hair slicked back. You know, the edge has got a a beanie and a goatee. I mean, they were definitely looking more more nineties here. They were kind of getting into that to that look, and the the song was very off the cuff. It was kind of dismissive. You know, it was kind of a protest 
against them being protesters, just kind of taking the air out of it. And then you had the industrial riff. You had what I think is probably the Edge's best solo in any song. Um, I, that was one of the first guitar solos I learned how to play in the guitar. I, I still, I just, I love that guitar solo so much. But I think it was a great way to be like, okay, this is not your brother or sister's U2. This is not going to be the Joshua Tree 2.0. No. This is going to be something different. And either you're, you're, you're on the bus or you're getting off, but this is, this is what you're going to sign up for if you want to get, if you want to get the album. And I thought that was, Very true. it was great. And then when you, when you bought the album as I bought it um, on the release day, which I'm sure you did too. Um, oh yeah. The, <laughs> Uh, the opening track was was another kind of rude awakening and in a great way zoo station which starts off with this yeah. bi- this big guttural like echoey transistor sounding guitar and it was it was interesting because it's industrial but it has this really gentle melody line and gentle vocals even though they're distorted it's 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 not like they're trying to be like ministry but it's like their own version of industrial where it has like you know kind of a I can't quite describe it, but it was it was a very unique way of 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 trying those elements into a song without yeah absolutely trying to yeah and it, it was such what what a, what a fun time the edge must have had you know <laughs> because he was really starting to get into his guitar sounds and utilizing technology to manipulate. Um, just what what comes out of its instrument, you know? Did you ever see the uh, "It Might Get Loud"? It, I, I it did. Loud I did. I loved it. I loved it. And and I I I think I'm I'm thinking that it was um uh, uh gosh I'm not even sure which track it was but off of Octune Baby. But I remember, he, you know, he's standing there with this processor that's, you know, taking these sounds and it's, it, it, it's manipulating it. But then he plays it clean, like, "Hey, I got this great riff," and it, it was like, "Ding, ding, 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 ding," and then he flips the switch, and then it turns into, you know, and it completely is, oh, I know that song because clean. And he just goes, hey, I, think I got this great riff. You know, your 12-year-old cousin who first got a guitar goes, ding, 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 mm-hmm. you know. But utilizing technology, which I think that was, this is what has, has you know, broken, broken that line pretty much. Because they weren't, they weren't really known for using a lot of technology. They were just a straight-up rock and roll band. There's nothing wrong with that. But being able to look forward and, and, and create a sound that's going to keep them as artists interested in their craft, I think this is this is the, the path that they chose. Yeah, we all like ACDC, and they can sound like ACDC, or, or they can create Joshua Tree, you know, thirteen point two. That's fine. But after a while, I think as listeners, we. They go. You got anything else? Yeah, because it's like sometimes you need to be challenged. Just, just the yeah. You know, it's it's like I don't always want. Yeah, to me, some of my favorite albums are the albums when I first hear it and I don't like it. I, I, I I've had a habit, especially with bands like the Church or just certain bands. I'll buy an album I'm like Ugh, I don't, but then you listen to it again and 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 you start seeing all the different elements come out. Um, so sometimes, yeah. sometimes the songs that aren't immediately lodged in your brain, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think Octane Baby is an album like that, that, that once you kind of got used to the fact that they weren't playing by their usual rule book, you kind of allowed it to kind of wash over you and, and, and take it all in. And, and I think that that was, that was a big part of, of why it was so cool. And, um, you know, you, you had all the singles, you had mysterious ways, you had, all that stuff. But I think just as important to me about that album, I think the deep cuts are, are some of their best. Um, Oh yeah. So, so cruel, so cruel might be my favorite. So cruel. One of my favorites just because it's just, it's just got that, 
emotive quality. I thought it was so so perfect when when Depeche Mode covered it a few years back because that was a perfect choice. Oh yeah, to to do that because mm-hmm. it because it almost sounds kind of like a Depeche Mode song in the first place. Um, it's, it's it really does. And, and in my in, in my research of song statistics at setlist.fm, they've only played that song three times. Weird. Which I thought was really it threw me off completely. I mean, they've only played So Cruel three times since the release of this album. So maybe, maybe because it's a, a slower song and it's kind of based on piano. Maybe it's just it's just not as much fun to play, I, play live. Maybe I, I'm not. I'm not sure. You know, the, the last time that I saw you two, you know, I had to. We had to go to Nashville, and I don't remember yeah, Experience and Innocence, Innocence and Experience tour. I don't know. It was at Bridge, the Bridgestone Arena. It's a great show, great fucking show, absolutely, hands down. But they played Acrobat, <laughs> which that was something that they had rarely played before. But they made a effort to incorporate Acrobat into that at least the leg of the tour that I was I was seeing. Uh, so I got to see them perform Acrobat, which I mean, mind you, it's on my sliding scale, it's probably the one that I would want to see the least, <laughs> honestly, but I can mark it off my list. Because right now, I think So Cool is probably the only one that I haven't seen. Interesting. Yeah. What's well, also, I remember there was that, there was that line in, uh, in that song about you can swallow or you can spit or turn around and choke on it, I think. And then, mm-hmm. and then you have that line in mysterious ways about on your knees. There's like so many references to that to that album that could be construed as as oral sex. And I think yeah. Bono was like, I had no idea that's what people would come up with for that. I did not intend it that way. But it was like, I think. Oh, that, they knew. I think they knew. They knew exactly what they were doing. Because <laughs> so, I think I think there was another there was another thing that could be construed for that for on until the end of the world. I think I may be wrong, but uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's uh, oh, and also in one about you have a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, there's so many different, so many different yeah. things that that could be seen that way. But and of course, the, it, the innuendo on this on this record is, I mean, the 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 meter is off the charts for innuendo on this record for mm-hmm. sure. And it goes back to just thematically what they what they were going through. I mean. Or what they were progressing with, instead of you know throwing rocks at at you know I don't know the authorities or whatever they are you know and and, and holding their protest signs, they they stayed they stayed in and they opened a bottle of wine and they started trying to figure out why did why did she leave me this time? Mm-hmm. And, and 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 just I mean it was it was it was introspective it was it was dense <laughs> but it really had to do a lot more with internal I I think and like like what they were really thinking of for how how they how they dealt with relationships and and yeah so there's going to be the innuendo about, you know, on your knees, boy, and, and all that, you know, but, you know, it hits on so many different, different themes that weren't having to do with like, you know, you know, free, free birth control or anything. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was, it was refreshing in that way. Wasn't the original title of the album going to be fear of women? Am I right about that? I thought that's what I heard one time. Mm. Was it was supposed to be that? I don't. Let me. I've not heard that one. Let me see if I I've, can. Uh, I can find. I've, I've not heard that one. Fear of women. Could have sworn I read that a long time ago. Let's see. Yeah, proposed title for the album "Fear of Women." This is talking about. Oh, yeah, I see yeah. it. So, and you could tell, cause I mean, love is blindness is the album closer and it's about as bleak of an album closers as you two could ever do. I mean, it's, uh, it's beautiful. I love Jack but, White's cover of that song too, but, uh, that was, 
that was that was the last song they played in, in their main set for that tour. And it sticks with me to this day. It is still one of I mean, it it like you said, it's bleak. And it is there, there there's not really a lot of happy going on in that song. But that song, as far as ending their main set, was absolutely incredible. Well, absolutely incredible. I, I think we're you know, talking about how they tried to take on the blues and round hum and, 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 and largely failed. I think you could argue that this was the best blues song they ever did because the blues are very strong in the song, but it doesn't feel hackneyed. It feels, it feels tied into the sound of the album where it's not trying to be like a blues pastiche. It's just, it's just trying, it just has a bluesy progression. And and yeah, it really it's a very dour and dark yeah. and cinematic. It's just great. But I mean, there's there's so many good songs. Ultraviolet, Light My Way. I don't know why that was never a single. That seems to me. Oh, me neither. That seems so confusing to me. That I mean, one of the, one of their catchiest songs, and maybe the song of the album that's the closest composition wise. Some of their older stuff, just because because you two yeah. you two have this 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 very. It's hard to explain because I'm not, I, I mean, I play music, but I'm not the best at describing music, but they had this really great way of, of having like a, a, a bass loop and then the guitar is subtly changing over the bass. So it has this really weird way, almost like a tractor beam where it kind of lulls into this trance where it's like this push pull. And that's a great example. Yeah. And another great example is with or without you, where they've got the, the hypnotic yeah. bass and the guitar is slowly changing over the, over the song. So that's a really good example of that. And it, and I, I almost wonder too, if, cause I know before this album, they did a, uh, some weird musical where it was like based off a of clockwork orange and they yeah. did, did that song, Alex and <laughs> a, a, Alex in a bottle of milk. And, Alex gets a bottle of milk. Yeah. Something like that. Which is a really cool experience. Probably. Yeah. And that was probably a good thing that it, it kind of missed a little bit so that they could throw some of that on the B side or something. Mm-hmm. And, and, and maybe that also was kind of helped influence sound the album. But I always kind of wondered if ultraviolet was kind of like a play of ultra violence and was about, was about a clockwork orange, but I have no idea. Uh, yeah. I just wondered if it kind of had that, had that good point yeah. f- feeling. Uh, but, uh, you know, you've got the only, there's only two songs I didn't care for in this album. One was trying to throw your arms around okay. the world. I never liked that very much. Uh, the woman with fish riding a bicycle. It's not, not, yeah. not, not, not as best lyrics. And, woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Yeah. Just yeah. not one. Yeah. And then <laughs> I, I was never, I liked their dance remix, but I was never a big fan of the original version of, uh, even better than the real thing. It just kind of, it it never hit me that hard. I don't I don't hate it, but I right. do, I don't love it. It's just kind of it seems a little bit kind of rote for them. But it was it was that was a I'm, big I'm, single for them too. I I, I think that from uh, a, a, another uh, a close friend of mine who's probably I'm going to go ahead and say it just to stroke his ego, but he's probably a a bigger YouTube fan than I am. That's his, I believe is his least favorite song is even better than the real thing. He just can't, he, he can't deal with it. He just can't. Yeah. I just, it, it just, I, I, on the other hand, I'm like, you know what? I'm just trying to get to one. Actually, I'm trying to get until to, until the end of the world. I'll just let it go. I'm just going to let it. I, I'm, I'm still going to listen. I'm still going to tune in. Cause you know, look. I, for me, o- o- over the years, in 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 my aged form that I am now, as opposed to what I was in '91, I'm I'm still going with where I started to go with. You know what? It's better to have a bad U2 song than no U2 song. And I've I've said that about about Iron Maiden. I've said that about Slayer. You know, I have a handful of other bands. You know, Radiohead's probably in that in, in that these days, but I'd rather have music from them 
than not have music from them. And so I will, I will just let let stuff keep keep playing, just keep going. I, I have I have a different you know different stop that I want to really get to, but you know what? You be you, even better than the real thing. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, like I say, it's not a. It just doesn't. It doesn't feel as immediate, perhaps to me. Some of the other stuff does, but I I did want to touch on briefly until the end of the world. You're mentioning, which is another great song. I think a lot yeah. of what a lot of people may not remember or have never heard before at all was that that song was used as the title track for a soundtrack by a f- film from director Wim Wenders, which was, Wim Wenders. which was a really yep. great soundtrack. It had like Lou Reed and uh, Nick Cave and R.E.M. and um, Depeche Mode. Yeah, Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. They had Death's Door on that, yep. didn't they? Yep. Uh, Julie Cruz. Um, yep. Uh, Great fe- soundtrack. Fear and the what was that band's name? Crime and the Crime in the City Solution, which is a really cool Crime in the City Solution. Oh yeah, them, love those guys. But that was a really cool soundtrack. I never saw the movie, which was the case for a lot of '90s soundtracks. Yeah. Where, where, where I where I had yeah. the soundtrack, like Judgment Night. I, I eventually saw that movie, and I I I, I wish that I hadn't. Um, because the soundtrack, <laughs> the soundtrack was just fine. Didn't need a movie, but that was really, that was really the era for soundtracks. So they would just push those out and, you know, you'd have like the last action hero with two songs by Alice in Chains on that. I buy just for that, but oh, I never, yeah. but I never bothered seeing the movie. But, uh, I think, but, but I think that that goes to show that, that the band is, is a very cinematic band. And this is a very yeah. c- cinematic album. You know, the, the music videos were done very, artfully and and helped expand upon the sound of it and and this also helps set, set the stage for their next album Zeropa which I think is another underrated yeah. record so it it kind of it kind of just showed that this was their new sandbox they were playing with and they were going to yeah. keep trying this for a while eventually they would go back to their standard sound but for the 90s was definitely their most adventurous as far as musical risk that they were taking. And I think that, that it just, you know, it, it paid off. And I, and I think it's kind of amazing because so many other bands from that era, the nineties weren't very kind to them, you know, I mean, bands, no, bands like the no. ch- church, I mean, church and the cult, the, they had a rough time in the nineties. Um, I mean, yeah, a, a, a lot of them did. I mean, like the cure had a terrible time in the nineties. Yeah. If you ask me, as well, uh, you know, they're, they're, the U2, U2's output in the 90s, well, as limited, but, you know, because it, it, it was a different era, too, to where it wasn't just like album tour, album tour, album tour, album tour, album tour, you know. They, they finally kind of pulled the reins back. They only put three records out in the 90s. And... Octoon Babies Europa, kind of out of the same sessions, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least ideas for Zeropa came out of Octoon Baby. So we're, that was initially just supposed to be an EP turned into an album because they started to develop. Or, and I think I, I think they got really comfortable on tour um, with Octoon Baby because that that's another point on 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 this album is that the way that it translated in a live setting was spectacular. It, it really overperformed. Yeah. Well, well maybe I shouldn't say overperformed, but it works so well live. Well, and the, I think that everybody in, in the band that had already kind of, you know, come at peace with each other about, you know, where are we going? What are we doing? What do I have to do? You know, what's my role here? And by the time that they were doing these live, I mean, it was just incredible, incredible stuff. Yeah, because the whole Zoo TV tour thing was like a big, a big cultural Huge. event. You know, they're doing stuff like ordering pizza, sending it to the White House, and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. And yeah. and, and you and you really saw in the sh- live show Bono going even further, kind of deconstructing his his character into this, you know, and sometimes it, it was a little, it was a little 
lead and foot, kind of a little heavy handed, even, even trying to be funny, you know, they weren't always, it was kind of clunky at times, but I, but I think the whole, yeah. the whole, by the time we got to McFisto, I was like, I don't know about this, but, uh, but that, that was a little strange for me, but I thought that, that the fly character and kind of doing that whole new thing and, and working with really complicated stage rigs and all that, it, it worked very well for this album. It was absolutely. It was a great. And I, 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 I honestly think that that's that's some of the best stuff that came out of it because, like, the, even the last time that I saw them in Nashville, McFister made an appearance as like a little, like a, a a little filter because you know, of course, they're using technology at its highest grade right now. Uh, for for their for their live shows, and so they had like a. a filter for Bono whenever he was in and going in, in into his McFisto character instead of like having to go back and face paint and do all that stuff. Yeah. And that was kind of that was kind of a fun throwback for twenty uh, gosh, what was that? Eighteen, seventeen at this point. So I mean I mean it, it's it, it may have seemed a little campy now, but now whenever it shows up, you're like, holy cow, they brought back fill in the blank of character, you know, the fly, Mephisto, or, you know, Preacher Man, or I don't know, you know, who knows? And, who knows what they call these characters? Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun now whenever they they kind of show back up in, in, some, in some sort of capacity. I mean... I mean, the one thing that, that holds true for this album is that they never really, I don't think, to this point, reinvented them, themselves to this degree because Zuropa was, was basically still on the tail end of this. And then Pop was was, was really a lot of elements from that, too. It was, it was kind of mining the same thing, yeah. just going. So, you know, after, after those albums, and especially after Pop kind of, didn't do so great for them. They kind of retreated and went back into their more classic sound, but I kind of miss those. Yeah. They went a little bit more traditional. Yeah. I kind of, I, I'm with you because I kind of think pop is underrated, but you know, that's just me. Yeah. I do. There's t- some great songs on that. Oh yeah. I, Fantastic I, songs on that. I think pop is a, is a, is a really good album, but I, I, I just, I just kind of regret that they haven't really, I don't think at this stage in the game, you're going to see them do something that's going to be that much of an about face to what they did before. Now they're kind of in legacy act mode, which, you know, it happens to a lot of bands at, at there. That's fine. Yeah. And they're, they're one of, I mean, th- there's nothing wrong with that at, at this point. So, and I think it's pretty remarkable that they're one of the few bands that never lost a member, never changed a member. Um, and, and I, and I think a testament to that is them getting through this album together that kind of show that, yeah. that these guys are, are in for the long haul, that they were, they were still, I mean, to be high school schoolmates and still be this, yep. this thing together. It's pretty special. And I, I don't think they get enough credit for that, for just sticking to it. And, and I think that, you know, in retrospect, I think Octane baby still holds up really well, which is leading up to yeah. my big question, my big debate. What's the better album, Octung Baby <laughs> or The Joshua Tree? <sighs> it's a Joshua Tree's got a lot of great songs, and it was the one album that made made them the biggest band in the world. But Octung Baby is the band that reinvented themselves and made them a band for a new decade. So you, you know, and 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 whenever. I, I think I made the similar sound whenever you told me that that was going to be like the the last question, really. And so I've, I've kind of been fighting it off in my head because there's there's too much. There's a lot that I just adore from from Joshua Tree. But then I think about the artist that created off, uh, an album like Joshua Tree, and then nearly broke up and stuck its neck out and then came back together as, as a full unit and, um, put together a stellar album like Octune Baby. 
man, I don't even know. I mean, I'm working on, on, on two totally different planes on this. You got to answer first. How's that go? Okay. Well, I, I will. <laughs> I, I will say, like I said before, I was never the biggest YouTube fan. I've always appreciated them. I uh, I remember hearing them first when I was in high school and and maybe junior yeah. high, maybe junior high when we first heard them back in like the Gloria days. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they kind of were. I will follow. Yeah, and they kind of had that undercurrent where they were getting more stuff. And then the Joshua Tree came out in a big way. I remember I got my Columbia house tape deal and they were one of the tapes that I got. <laughs> and, uh, then I backtracked. I got unforgettable. Oh, $35. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I copied unforgettable yeah. fire from a friend of mine and all that. So, right. but I think Octane baby was, was really the album that made me a bigger fan. I think that it grabbed me in different ways because it was, it was using some different Sonic stuff that I was really into at the time. And I really liked the whole mix of like rock and dance music. And, and, uh, I was just, I was already getting into that with like Depeche Mode and with ministry. So I thought it was really cool yeah. hearing, hearing, their, their take on it. So I, I, I think to me, it's Octagon baby. No question. If you, if you said pick an album, I'm, that's the one I'm going with. I just think, it, wow. I just think that, that it's something that I would, I, I listen to more often. I mean, I can count, right. uh, you know, I listen to the Joshua tree plenty, but I listen to Octane baby way, way more. So on, on, on a typical day, I usually tell people that it's unforgettable fire. I will say that, but kind of like whenever we, you know, whenever we were pre gaming for this, I was like about how Octane baby could really be my, my next go-to after that. And so, um, this week, like I said earlier, it's Octoon baby. And next week it may be unforgettable fire, but then Joshua tree. I mean, we're talking about one, a, B and C for me, just Mm -hmm. depending on where, where I'm at, you know? Um, but since, I mean, I was even prepping for, without us even talking about doing this episode, but like listening to Austin baby, like a week or two ago, because I was like, Oh, it's getting close to that, that anniversary. Isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) My little music store, mine flips to like November of, well, practically any year from 1990 until about 2003 or so. And so I start looking at those albums and, you know, Joshua Tree's a, a, it is a great record, but uh, I, for one, this week will certainly say Octoon Baby, and then maybe next week I'll be listening to Unforgettable Fire. Who knows? All I know is I wish I could get a promo copy of the upcoming uh, deluxe reissue that's coming out next month, because it looks pretty sweet. There's a ton of stuff on there. Um pretty much all the songs that we were discussing as far as like the Alex, you know, that song and all that. And Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's also worth mentioning, um, as far as B sides, the album had a very great B side one. So good. I don't know why they didn't replace either better than the real thing or, or arms around the world with this Salome. (laughs) Salome is such a good song. Oh, Salome. I don't know why that was not a single. It's such that a good, so good, such a good dance song. You know, it's a, it was it was yeah. really, really good. So, so if if they definitely should switch out one of those songs for that, in my personal opinion. Yeah, Salome Salome is certainly a, a, a great song. I I, I also uh, whenever I was looking at this, um, and I don't know if you ran across it too, but do do you remember seeing? Um, they had done a, um, a Cole Porter cover called Night and Day. Oh, I love that cover. And it was supposed to be, that was, that was originally for, uh, one of those Red Hot and Blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. Yeah. I remember. Uh, singles. But that came out like a month or so before they even started sessions for this. And, Remember how different that song sounded. Like this was not this was not uh, 
you know, Angel of Harlem. This yeah. was not Angel of Harlem would desire you to or or uh, go back and listen to, or to Christmas that day. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, baby. Yeah. This was not. Yeah, this was not traditional YouTube. Go back and listen to that. And then you start thinking about, hey, what are they about to do? That was that was the 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 think of it as the mint before your meal in reverse. That that cover, it's one of those songs. Is he, it, that that part where the where his voice breaks and it gets really high. I mean, that, that always gives me the chills. Like, I, yeah, um, just the whole end part where he's just going, oh, just a, that really big moment towards the end. That's just like that's the best part of you too. And they hit those kind of those kind of moments. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, they made Frank Sinatra cool for the nineties. So yeah, I, I, I do like that cover and, um, mm. yeah, that, that maybe we should have all taken that as a, as a sign of things to come that that was the direction and, and, uh, you know, hats off to Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois and flood and Steve Lee white yeah. and all their production team for, yep. for all those guys for going with it and using the studio as a instrument and pushing, pushing, pushing these, the sounds to pushing. Yep. To the breaking point, yeah, and I, and I think a lot of the stuff that Flood did in that album, I think he kind of took a lot of that for when Depeche Mode did "Songs of Faith and Devotion" with another album I love, where I think he really kind of that was kind of like their that was kind of their octung baby to me in some ways. It was it was like yeah, it was like the, I, the I agree with that. It was like the opposite of what of what octung octung baby was a band was an organic rock band moving towards being electronic <laughs> where songs of faith and devotion was electronic man moving towards being or, moving or to organic rock. <laughs> so I think organic, it, yeah. it's kind of like a weird flip mirror side to the whole thing, which is, you know, just, just an observation that came across my mind. But can you imagine Martin's face? Well, Bono did this. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they, they never admitted if nothing else. I, I just remember bringing re- uh, that's, that's the stuff that I, that that I secretly think of is like whenever Flood's working with, you know, another international, just in globally impactful band like from YouTube to Depeche Mode, and then Pumpkins. Him, him going, well, um, the Edge did this. <laughs> well, I remember. I think he's talking about the Depeche Mode. He says, "Why can't you have wah wah drums as Flood? Why can't you do that?" I want to do wah wah right. drums. I, I mean, just that kind of mind is so great that you're, <laughs> that you're willing to think of right. like crazy things like that and playing with, with sounds that, you know, but you know, now you can get all these sounds through like a software program, but back then right. you really, right. you really had to, a lot of trial and error and uh, it was a different time. <laughs> it, it was. And I, I think it kind of forced you to, to if you had a lot of money to get in the studio, mind you, it forced you to uh, right really try to to push it, and they pushed it. And yeah. as time is to, you know is to the test of time, it's still a great album. We're still talking yeah, about it. It's still it's still a fantastic album. Yeah, and agreed. You can't think of the early '90s without still thinking of you too. They, they they pulled it off. They did not fade away. They did not have to go on the intimate club tour that bands like in excess had to do no. you know which they didn't have to play a state fair yeah that they, they <laughs> i mean they they really were fortunate to be able to do that and i but it was also because they they were willing to push it i think that they were able to to get that luxury of, of sticking around for another decade and yes and being huge so yeah absolutely agree i'll i'll still i'll still pay to go see that's that's one of the bands I will still go and pay to see. Just tell me, tell me what you know. I I prefer to be on the floor because you know, hey, that's where I belong, right? It's <laughs> but, it's one of my biggest regrets. I've never seen them live, and I hate even saying that on this thing. But I, I I've I've meant to go see them, and it's just it never has worked out. It's like it's one of those things like ministry. Well, I, I kept. And, and I got to tell you, on even the last tour, whenever I said that I had to go to Nashville because they didn't play here, 
they they came here for their Joshua Tree redo tour, like in 2017. But that's been it. That's the last time they've been here. They, you know, they they've been on tour, but for the last two albums that they put out, the Songs of Experience and Songs of Innocence, they've not hit the Dallas market, the the, the DFW market. I'm not even sure if they played uh, Texas at all. I'm not sure if they've even done Houston. Can you blame them? Well, I mean, <laughs> at the same time, I mean, they, they came. They came here for for Joshua Tree. So, I mean, but that I, I'm just I'm, I don't know. I'm just saying from a Texas has become. Such, I know where you're going with it for su- sure. Such a come on. It's like I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I will. You know what? They played Oklahoma. Yeah. They played Tulsa, Oklahoma, but couldn't find the time to make it down here. Okay. Whatever. I'll go, you know, I tried to go see him in, in uh, St. Louis. That didn't work out because something happened. So they had to cancel that show. But then I uh, ended up seeing them in Nashville. So there you go. Oh, maybe, maybe it is what it is. Maybe next time they will hit here, but it, I, it, I, I, I'm a. It will. It will just have to be. It will just have to be the next time. I'm just kind of afraid if that they play Austin. Then I will come down. If they come down and you know, if they play Austin and not here, then I will come and go see that show with you. All right. Yeah. If they come to Austin, I, I will definitely go. I'm just. I'm just afraid that a lot of good bands aren't going to want to play Texas ever again after we've been pulling lately. I'm just. I, I'm, just I'm really. Af- I'm, I'm afraid that, that we're going to, even though it's not our fault, we're going to be held liable for. Going to be a boycotts. Be a long winter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Hopefully not in, in certain ways either. Yeah, Texas folks. Yeah. It's we're living it. Yeah, Texas. But yeah, uh, Octane Baby still holds up, putting out Deluxe Reissue next month. If you guys want to pick up the new album, I've got a link for it when you see the blog post for this. But uh, you should buy it. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna put it on my on my Christmas list, and uh, do it. You should too. So everybody, thanks for tuning in. Um, I think it's gonna cover all of our anniversary albums for this year, but I will start soon looking into what's going to be turning 25 and 20 and 30 and all that stuff for uh, 2022. And we'll, uh, might be a slow year. Might be a slow one. I don't I think we picked back up in 90 in, in, well, at least I know 93 is kind of big, but I mean, Hey, 92, 92 is pretty big. Not as big as 91. Was it? Was it? Okay. 92. Yeah. 92 was, I, in fact, I'll if I can find my thing I did for it, I'll send it to you. '92 had a lot of a lot of stuff. It was kind of building on okay. on the All backs right. of '91. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean this this, this thirty years stuff right now was in a sweet spot. So. so we'll definitely hit some. There was some dirt and some terrible thing to taste. And Priest equals Aura. Uh, Honey's dead. There was a, quite a few good Ooh. ones for, from '92. So oh yeah yeah Angel Dust. Mm, that is some good stuff. Oh, yeah. Never mind. So we'll, we'll definitely... 92 is big. We'll definitely dive and into And that's just the 30-year stuff. Yeah, yeah, we haven't gotten to the 20-year, the 25-year. I think, yeah. So we will definitely... I think next year is the 20th anniversary. The, oh, go ahead. We should we should start looking at 40. Yeah. Just just to make it fun. Yeah, we should. We should dig into... I'll, I'll 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 look at the forty year stuff because that should be kind of fun too. And the, and there's like some major tent pole albums from those early eighties years. So yep. So that could be a f- absolutely fun dive in the new wave and metal and all that stuff. So yeah, we'll, let's definitely do that. Absolutely. So we shall make a list, everybody. So be sure to tune back in next all year. Right. And uh, we'll have to put on put on our big boy pants. Big. Boy pants and get at it. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you, Chris. As always, always a pleasure talking music with you. you. Bet you, man. I'm glad we can make this work. Great to be part of it. Yes, and we will absolutely. We'll do it again soon. Absolutely. <laughs>